When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. To solar panels work in winter. Solar energy output in Australia throughout winter is surprisingly high in some cities. You can learn more about better solar energy at B-Solar. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Good evening, everybody. Welcome along to a Tuesday night edition of The First Serve. Very nice to be in the chair. We've been shifting around a little bit the last couple of weeks, but I've got to say, and I just said to Sammy on the way in, more than happy to make way for the Tassie Jack Jumpers last night. How good was that? More than happy to be handballed to Tuesday night. That was brilliant on the radio. I think anyone who's listened to me long enough at this radio station knows that I love the underdog in sports. So um, that was brilliant. That's what we're all about. Live sport here on SEN. So great to bring you the first serve. There is a stack happening in the world of tennis as always. Happy to take your calls uh, tonight. one 736 736 The hour is yours. You can text us 0433981116 or thanks to Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over $150. So you can shop to your heart's content. TennisDirect.com.au Get that nice 10% discount store-wide using the code first serve one zero on the B Solar menu tonight. All the latest of the winners' roll will give you in just a moment. The mailbag is back tonight. There's some juicy stuff in there, and the editor of the Australian Tennis Magazine, Vivian Christie, will be along a little bit later on this hour. We start with the honour roll. It's Diego Schwartzman times two. We start with little Sebastian Baez. It's all over. He's done it. Sebastian Baez wins his maiden title here in Estoril. He's had the week of his life. And the 21-year-old has come of age here in Portugal. The little powerhouse, five foot seven, who packs a punch, is a worthy winner here in the Portuguese sunshine. And he joins the likes of Guillermo Villas, Juan Martin del Potro, David Nalbandian. Diego Schwartzman, Guillermo Correa, Gaston Gaudio. The list is endless of great Argentine players to have won tour titles over the years. And Sebastian Baez, the latest to be added to that list. You had a special connection with Francis Tiafo because you practiced before the tournaments and you saw his bracelet saying, why not me? And then you signed after every single match that you won at the tournament on the camera, why not me? So uh, can you go through the final and explain which were the key moments in this final? We never hit, never this week. I, we are more close, but yeah. just this week. And I saw 
in the TV, the bracelet. So my coach said, you have to do a tattoo about that. Um, I said, yes. That, that's the key to, to try to, to be confident in every time, in every point, in, in slow or when I go down or go up. So try to, to be quiet and do the best I can. He got it done. All 170 centimetres of Sebastian Baez. Exactly the same height as his fellow Argentinian, Diego Schwartzman. It's an interesting comparison of their two journeys. I'll get to that in just a moment. one 736 736 Plenty coming through on the text. Get to those. 0433981116. So he wins the Estoril Open. Great setting there on the coast in Portugal. The ATP 250 he beat Francis TFO, who won the first two games of that match overnight. And then he went on a nice uh, tear. Of course, he made the final in Santiago a little bit earlier this year. He's been establishing himself. He's climbed from 99 to 40 in the rankings. So he is the real deal. And it is a career high, 15 and 11, the win loss. So he beats uh, on the way through, of course, uh, Joao Souza, who's a tough man to beat from Portugal. He beat Marin Cilic. Grand Slam finalist twice. Richard Gasquet, Grand Slam semi-finalist, and he beats one of the toughest players on clay, the hardened Albert Ramos Vinolas, the tough lefty from Spain. So he certainly deserved the title. There's no doubt about that. He also made the semis of the next gem, ATP finals last year. And just the comparisons to Diego Schwartzman, who's currently 15 in the world. Uh, Diego actually had to pull out of this tournament uh, citing fatigue. He's had a pretty good year himself. Same height, 170 centimetres. We know Diego's been as high as eight in the world. And his first title actually came at the age of 23. That was back in 2016. Sebastian's first title has come at the age of 21. So it'll be fascinating to see whether he surpasses what um, the great Diego Schwartzman has done. He's been one of my uh, favourites across the tour. He had one Aussie, Jordan Thompson. He went out first round to Albert Ramos Vinolas. A couple of the other storylines out of Estoril. Felix Orgialiassime was the top seed, 10 in the world. He started the season in the blaze of glory. He was 15-4 and four at one stage. He's now 19-10. and 10. So we know he didn't fire at Indian Wells. He didn't fire at Miami. He's 4-4 four and four on the clay so far. He went down to Seb Corder, who is going to play Felix many times, you would think, uh, throughout their careers. And Seb himself... Uh, went down to Francis Tiafo on a really uh, tough uh, semi-final, but he's 21. He's jumped up seven spots to 30 in the world, and he's just heading north uh, in, a, in a nice incremental fashion. It's not Carlos Elcarez. Everyone goes on these different journeys, a bit like Holger Rune, who I'll talk about in just a moment. Uh, lost to Tiafo, but he is just tracking very nicely towards the top 10 eventually. And I don't know if you saw this during the presentation ceremony. I love some of the presentation ceremonies of all these tournaments around the world. They didn't give him the old-fashioned check. They actually brought out this electronic machine and did the transaction live on court and in dropped to 81,000 euros, all live on that TV. It was absolutely magnificent. So well done to Sebastian Baez, a young man who packs a punch at 170 centimetres. We're going to be talking about him uh, for quite some time. I always love a good wildcard story. Uh, particularly in the doubles. So two Portuguese players, Nuno Borges and Cabral, who are a long-time uh, childhood friends, uh, Francisco uh, Cabral. They uh, defeated the top seeds, Murray and Michael Venus, on the way through in the semis. 
Our first ATP event, first main draw, first title together. So they've had a good period on the challenges. They've come through the junior. So that is a good feel story. Uh, Matty Ebden and Max Purcell, who've been in good form uh, from an Australian point of view. We're not, we know what they've been doing in doubles, uh, certainly this year at the back end of last year. They went out uh, first round. Interestingly, with Max, who is just struggling at the moment, certainly to uh, qualify and have an impact, certainly singles-wise, after a really good progression last year. He's just recently split with his coach, Nathan Healy. We'll uh, talk about that. He's travelling the globe just with the girlfriend at the moment, and I think he's the lucky loser in a, uh, a tournament uh, this week. He's got a reprieve, Max, but um, he's certainly looking for a better uh, singles output. Uh, let's get to... Uh, we speak about Carlos Elcaraz and how good he is, but this young man is heading north in a hurry, uh, the great young man from Denmark. At 19, who won the BMW Open, Holger Rune. Central has to retire. Oh, this is such a shame. A final, a first final for both these players on the ATP Tour. It's a handshake. A retirement for Botik van der Sandschulp. It's a, a title win for Holger Rune here in Munich. Yeah, it's not the way you want to win your first title when your opponent retires seven games into the opening set, but you take it. He had a very good week. Uh, there's no doubt about that. We've been talking about Holger Rune, or Holger Vitas Nodskorun, who shortened his name. Uh, thank goodness for that from a uh, commentary uh, point of view. But he's been tracking like Carlos since uh, he was a young man. Uh, former world junior number one. Uh, he is 45 in the world now, so he started the year... At 103. So Elkaraz is the youngest 18 year old inside the top 100. Holger is the youngest 19 year old. And I love the presentation ceremony. We just talked about uh, Esteril. So they come out, of course, uh, the winner, and they get the, uh, the Lederhosen uh, shorts, which are a short or knee length um, leather uh, breech that are um, you know, the traditional garment uh, that is worn in some regions of uh, Germany. And they actually put the banner around the player. He drops the decks and uh, puts on these shorts, comes out. The crowd are doing this standing ovation. And then he gets a BMW. The only problem for Holger is that he doesn't get his licence till uh, next week. So he couldn't jump in the uh, the driver's seat, uh, so to speak. But his mother, Annika, has been a great support. He spent a lot of time at the Moritoglu Academy. Uh, Lars Christensen has been his coach since he was a young man. He is that driven to win like Elkares. He's another one. Can we take him as well under <laughs> the AUS banner? He's a beauty. Olga Room. He's the absolute uh, real deal. John Millman went out uh, first round. So, unfortunately, uh, Johnny didn't fire a shot uh, at the BMW Open over the past uh, week. one 736 736 On the text, 0433981116. Boris Becker. Yeah, we're going to talk about Boris. Uh, I know, Mario, you're being a little bit uh, uh, tongue-in-cheek. We will talk about Boris. It's a bit of a sad story, really, even if it's of his own doing. And he can't blame anyone else but himself. When you have, I suppose, the life of luxury for so long, you just get more greedier and you don't want that taken away from you. So we'll touch on that a little bit later on. Uh, a lot of the challenges played over the past week. We've got a full wrap on our website, thefirstserve.com.au. There's a couple of things uh, certainly worth uh, noting, certainly from an Australian point of view, a young man that I am a fan of. His name is Rinky Hijikata, 21 years of age from Sydney. Talk about good incremental growth. He made his first Challenger semi-final. So he's been building up through the ITFs. He's been across to college in the States as well. He spent a lot of time on the road when a lot of the Aussies stayed home uh, right throughout uh, February, early March. 
Uh, didn't get past Jay Clark event in that semi-final. Clark went on to win uh, from Great Britain six one four six seven six, but he's gone from three seventy five to two thirty three this year. Rinky Hijikata with twenty eight victories. So the next challenge is to get inside that top two hundred and try and build. So and I've got absolute confidence that he will um, certainly project to at least that around that one fifty mark uh, by the end of the year. So that is from an Australian perspective and a man that. Well, we've sort of forgotten about, really, is Jack Sock. I mean, Jack, you know, won the ATP Masters 1000 in Paris a few years ago. He got to world number eight. He got to a tour finals. One of the meanest forehands in the caper. Won his fourth challenger title. Uh, His ranking is up to 123 now, so it's a far cry uh, from where it was uh, many years ago. But he won in uh, Savannah, the, uh, the challenger there. Now, a guy we have to mention... And I'm sort of curious about a few of our Aussies down the pecking order, whether any of them are going to make some really serious leaps. But I am fascinated about the journey of Lee Two. And I think everyone sort of knows the story now. He played as a a junior. He left the tour 2014. He was only, I think, 17, uh, 18 at the time. Went back to Adelaide, set up his own coaching business. And in 2020, during the onset of COVID, he decided he wanted to make a comeback. So he's played all those UTRs. He gets the wild card into the Australian Open, plays a couple of tour events. And then from about, what, August last year, he stepped out onto the ITF tour. So since August last year, including in Cairo over the weekend, he's won six ITF titles, three at 15K level, three at 25K level, had no ranking. He's now at 340 in the world. I've watched a heap of his matches over the last couple of weeks and he plays some very, very good tennis. So where does he go? I mean, I think sky's the limit. He's going to get and play a couple of the challenges over the next uh, two to three weeks. So that'll be the step up uh, from the ITFs where, to be honest, um, he's a, a, a leap above a lot of his opponents. So I think he's actually on court now. So he's made the dash to uh, Tunisia and it'll play another 15K. So we'll keep an eye on Lee too. Congratulations to him. It's all over our uh, social media if you want to see a bit of vision. But his record, if you think about it, 128 wins, 20 losses in the last three years. UTR, ITF, tour level, and that opportunity he had to play at the Australian Open when he pushed uh, Feliciano Lopez to four uh, really, really tight sets. So that is what is uh, going on uh, this week. We'll come back with your text, the mailbag uh, tonight. We'll preview what is to come over uh, the next week. Madrid's in full swing. I want to talk about Alex Dimonor. I'm more bullish about Dimonor than I ever have been as to the impact he can make long-term in professional tennis. And Vivian Christie's going to join us, editor of the Australian Tennis Magazine. All thanks to AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorsed. Inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B-Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B-Solar advisor. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management. At glgcorp.com, the first serve, your home of tennis.
Welcome back to the First Serve Tuesday night edition. Hopefully you found us tennis fans uh, tonight. We're in a different slot, different night. one 736 736 You are welcome to call. Talk some tennis. Love talking tennis with you. Harry Belmore, he's gone quiet. Where is he? Harry Statsman, come on. Harry, give me something. one 736 736 So we've heard from the winners. We're in the middle of Madrid, well, certainly for the women, and we're at the start, pretty much. I'll talk about Alex Dimonor in uh, just a moment. But uh, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal. It's an interesting watch, isn't it, this week? Djokovic certainly isn't uh, firing on all cylinders. And, and Rafa's, what, first match back uh, coming up likely tomorrow night, early Thursday morning, our time from the broken rib. But he's a little bit of Novak heading into his first round match in Madrid. <laughs> I must say that the year in professional sense hasn't started the best possible for me. Yuri Vesely takes out Novak Djokovic in Dubai. It is Davidovic Fakina in the end just out-muscling a tiring Djokovic. I experienced something that I've never experienced in my life before and uh, still feel some traces of that, you know, and it take, takes a little bit of time to, to adapt to those circumstances but you know it is what it is and it's all a learning experience a learning curve try to become a better person and stronger player mentally as well on the court I'm still kind of finding the form you know I uh, not playing at the desired level but um, I am getting there it's, it's a progress and I have to be patient and believe that I'm on the right track which I feel I am every season brings something new every day is pretty much different you know uh, even when at times you're confident and you feel like every shot is going well, you can easily lose the timing or tempo or the rhythm on the specific shot the very next day. So, so it's always really working on that kind of fine-tuning to, to make sure that you get to the desired level. I'm you know, trying to use my experience in playing in these events and bringing back the memories from winning in Madrid also a few years, which is... Which, which was great. Last time I was here, I won the tournament. So, you know, hopefully um, I, can, I can perform at my best. Well, there is no back with a bit of crowd support at the end. Uh, Aro was rolling the, the disc underneath uh, there. Look, uh, who knows what's going to happen this week. Gail Monfils will be his opponent. Uh, Djokovic trying to work into some Grand Slam form with the French Open. Under three weeks away. We'll hear from Rafael Nadal very, very uh, shortly. I want to talk about Alex Dimonor, though, because we spoke on the program a week ago after his semi-final epic against Carlos Elcarez. I'm still dribbling. Carlos Elcarez, how good's this kid, 18 years of age? And Holger Rune's coming as well. And there's plenty of other great young talent on the tour. But I'm really bullish, and I said this to Dwayne today on SCN, I'm really bullish about Alex Dimonor where he's going. So we know from day one... He's always brought great energy, intensity, effort, running down every ball. His wheels are a huge asset. We know the frame that he's got, and we've wondered where's his ceiling going to be. So he doesn't beat Alcaraz, but I reckon he takes a lot out of that Alcaraz match. And then I'm sitting up last night watching him beat Pedro Martinez, the uh, Spaniard. He had the home crowd behind him. He's certainly not the player uh, that Demonor is. Demonor didn't have a great second set. But gee, reset beautifully in the third. There's no doubt the power's been increased. There's a little bit more beef on the serve. 
you don't want to play the drop shot against Alex Demonor because most times, nine times out of ten, he'll get there and he'll, dis- he'll dispense of it. And I think there's a look in his eye that it's now my time to step up and strike. He can certainly creep back into the top 20. So he's got to play Yannick Sinner next, 10th seed. He's 0-3 and three against Sinner. We go back to the Australian Open this year, 7-6-6-3. Sophia 2020, 6-7, 6-4, 6-1. Next-gen finals when Demonor was the favourite. A younger sinner got over the top of him, 4-2, 4-1, and that a, a different uh, scoring format. So now it's time for Alex to step up and take one of these big guns. He hasn't been able to beat Sitsi Pass. He hasn't been able to beat Sinner. And that's the evolution of Alex Demonor that I'm looking forward to seeing. And I really believe that there is going to be a window. And I think I mentioned last week on the show that this next group are going to share the spoils. You might only get one or two windows to make a Grand Slam final, even maybe win one. But I think there's going to be a reward for Alex on the back of all the hard work that he and Adolfo, his coach, have put in, what, for the past 15, 16 years when Alex picked up a racket as a young man determined to make it in professional tennis. I really believe that. So can't wait for Sinner and Demon Or to see where Alex is at. Rafa on the Dale, he's back. I mean, the last time I saw Rafa, when I was at Indian Wells, unfortunately, uh, the body that day just couldn't quite get into the line, taking nothing away from Taylor Fritz, who played a great match. He beat Nadal fair and square. But this is not the ideal preparation, isn't it? Normally, he'd play a full clay court calendar. Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Madrid, Rome, into Roland Garros. So he heads into a tournament in three weeks where he's absolutely dominated. No one will ever break this amazing record of Nadal. He's not cherry ripe, but he is Rafael Nadal. Let's get his thoughts going into Madrid. Well, happy to be back. Uh, this city is so special for me. And uh, the crowd have been uh, just uh, amazing during all my tennis career here. No? And they show me always the, the love and the, the support, uh, even in a completely different way than the, than the rest of the world. So for me, play here is always a, a huge thing. So enjoying the fact that I'm back, knowing that the situation is not perfect for me after a, a one month and a half uh, with, the, with the stress fracture on the, on the, on the rib, that's painful and that uh, didn't allow me to practice at all for, for a while. So uh, in terms of preparation, uh, it's not the ideal thing. But I'm here just to try my best, that's it, and try to be improving every single day. How frustrating has it been to having to come back from yet another injury? <laughs> it's tiring, you know. It <laughs> happened too many times in my life. And, uh, it, of course, it's, it's, it's not easy, you know. And uh, it's not easy to accept uh, every single time the challenge. But in that case, I have experience on that. So just uh, no time uh, to complain much. Time to, to keep going, to stay positive, and to try to, to find positive things to to be better and better every day. With your experience, how many matches do you need to get back into it? Oh, you never know. That's not, no mathematics on that. No, every single time is different. But uh, victories helps uh, and uh, spend time on court too. You know? So, uh, of course, I am better today than a couple of days ago. And then you need to play matches. And, uh, of course, it's not ideal to start in a Master 1000 here in Madrid that has the altitude. And uh, the draw, that is, is very difficult for me. You know? But uh, uh, just try to, to accept the, the process, the challenge. And uh, the only thing that I can do is play with the right attitude and try my best. Uh, Rafa, in uh, beautiful rolling form there with the R's. He's uh, back this week. Let's see how he fares 
he just needs a bit of match play uh, until you get back out there and compete. But this one man, he's done it so many times across his career. He can come back from injury and excel. It's uh, Rafael Nadal. Interesting to watch Dominic team at the moment. So he's zero and four in the return. Uh, played Andy Murray last night. I think you know Murray whispered in his ear when they shook hands at the net that it's going to take some time. Murray's been in that situation, being off the tour uh, with injuries, and we know that Dominic team was flying. You know he was up there in the top three. He was a Grand Slam winner at the U.S. Open. Played just about more than anyone else, and then the wear and tear. The struggles through COVID, so he's trying to get back that beautiful single-handed backhand, but 0-4, and four, ranking at 91, and it's uh, going to take, uh, no doubt, some time. Just off the text, in regard to Alex Dimonor, doesn't have the heavy artillery. I mean, you don't have to be the biggest hitter. You don't have to be the most powerful hitter to win a Grand Slam. I think he has increased the power. If you look at the way he's playing, really getting the ball through the court uh, quicker, uh, there's, there's more in the game. He's beefed it up, Alex, and that comes through... Aging another year, certainly his body growing uh, physically. So I think there is the window. Uh, my dream is to see John McEnroe in the umpire's chair yelling at players who argue line calls saying, you can't be serious. Thank you, David. Does Djokovic have any chance of making a Grand Slam final this year? I saw, I say, more chance of him getting vaxxed than making a final. Well, certainly the jury's out right now. He has not had the normal uh, program, the normal schedule for the first five months of the year for a man that was well, right throughout his career, is in a rhythm of playing a type of uh, schedule, which is adjusted over the years. As you get older, you have to play as many of the um, the lower events, so you have a little bit more time off in the prep and so forth. But I think the jury's, yeah, certainly out on that one. I can't watch clay court tennis with the sound on. The grunting and moaning is very off-putting. Will the authorities ever deem it noise pollution? I love clay court tennis, <laughs> personal opinion. I, I think the grind and... The gruelling aspect of it is so appealing. It's like test cricket. It's a battle. It's a battle to win points. So I'm all for clay court tennis. Uh, Brett, by the way, you call, your call on AFL games is first class. You're too kind. If Naomi Osaka, I was almost uh, speechless last week, a couple of one-pointers the last two weeks, but if Naomi Osaka teams up with Kyrgios, how will she cope with his antics? Well, <laughs> I'll ponder that if it actually ever happens. Nick mightn't even turn up. Naomi mightn't even turn up. Not totally in love with the tour, both of them. Uh, Boris Becker, the shortest price favourite ever to win the All England Prison Grass Tennis Tournament. Mario from Maslin Beach. I always like where you go, Mario. Just a little left of centre. Look, it's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? He could have got a maximum seven years. Boris, he got two and a half years. Plenty of reflection. It all caught up with him. There's no doubt. And I read a great column over the weekend, um, you know, when he was 17, 18, you know, winning all these Wimbledon titles, a really confident young man. He was just so sure of himself. He knew where he wanted to go, achieved incredible things. Certainly didn't play in the era when you could make the money that the players are making today, but he made a handsome sum. He set his life up, but then it all uh, it all became a little bit too greedy. He wanted too much, and you pay the price. So I'm glad to see there's not special rules to... For some, even when you're an elite uh, sports person. So, yeah, it's a sad state of affairs, really, but it is of his own doing. I need to mention our good friends at Hume Tennis and Community Centre. It's a mini Melbourne park in Melbourne's north. Uh, tennis for everyone. Perfect also for coaches and players. If you're coming from interstate to train and compete, close to Melbourne Airport, accommodation available. I've seen the comments. Magnificent. Tim and the team will look after you. You can find out more at humetennis.com.au. So, 
Uh, Madrid in full swing. That's what we're going to be keeping an eye on. No Australian in the ladies' draw. Isla Tomjanovic going out. Tough first-round draw going out to Muguruza. Uh, Storm Sanders through to the quarterfinals with uh, Zhang Shui. He's normally the partner of Sam Stoza, but Sam will be heading over uh, pretty shortly overseas, uh, certainly for uh, the grass. Uh, so they are the top seeds in Madrid through to the quarterfinals, which is a good result. And we've got a stack of Aussies uh, going around uh, at uh, the one two five level. Jamie Foulis, Astra Sharma, Madison Inglis tonight. John Millman's playing a challenger. Max Purcell, Alex Vukic are all playing a challenger. So Alexi Popperin, the struggles continue for Alexi. He had to qualify for an ATP challenger, which is a bit of a concern, but his ranking has certainly plummeted outside the top 100, but he has qualified for the main draw. So let's hope he can fire a shot. And there's plenty of Aussies on the ITF too. And that's what we do at the first serve. We cover the full spectrum. You can do that through our socials. If you're following us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Coming back uh, with the mailbag. There's plenty of that next. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B-Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B-Solar advisor. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management. At glgcorp.com, the first serve, your home of tennis. Great to have your company as always, talking the world of tennis every week uh, right across the SEN network. You can follow us at thefirstserve.com.au and across our socials. We've got that covered every single day, as we know. It's a sport that just does not uh, does not stop at all. There is results coming in daily. We keep you across all the Aussies. And lots of topics that we're going to uh, continue to explore, which I know you're very passionate about, it, particularly out in the domestic market. Just off the text, has King Carlos Algaraz replaced uh, Bernie Conlon as your favourite ever sportsman. Not sure if you're thinking of Mickey Conlon or Bernie Quinlan, but you've got both of them together. I assume you may be meaning Bernie Quinlan, the super boot. Good question. I think your life is uh, in chapters, isn't it? So back in 1983, I loved Bernie Quinlan. The best kick in the business. I didn't necessarily like Bernie in 1995 when he was coaching uh, Fitzroy because we, uh, we won one game. But Carlos Alcaraz... How can you take your eyes off uh, this young man? So maybe he has. I'll ponder that one. Question on a scale of one to ten, how much did Fresh Phillips love Carlos Elkeres? Righto. Well, it's true. It's 11. Yeah, it's probably off the Richter scale at the moment. Uh, big question, Brett. Are these young guys tall, big serve, one-handed back? And I, I assume you're talking about the winner's list from earlier. Well, you've got Sebastian Bay's 170 centimetres, uh, like looking at Diego Schwartzman in the mirror. So he's packing a mean punch. He's... Tough to play, gets a lot of balls back. And this is the this is the game for all shapes and sizes, isn't it? So you don't have to be John Isner, you don't have to be Diego Schwartzman. Um, I mean, they're both proven at different uh, dimensions that uh, you can play the game and reach um, certainly the highest of levels. Brett, what is happening with uh, Kokonakis? I'll just rephrase that off the uh, the text how that came in. Well, he'll be back overseas pretty shortly. So he's had a fairly big block to start the year. Indian Wells, Miami, uh, Davis Cup, the Australian summer. So he came back to Melbourne for a few weeks just to recharge. Obviously, the management of Thanasi is really, really important. But his body stands up for the year. And now the next step is to try and go from the 90s closer to that top 50. So he needs a couple of good results. And let's hope the second year can be kind to him, form-wise, but also his body, that it just uh, keeps uh, holding up. Let's uh, delve into uh, the mailbag. You've got mail. We have indeed. Now, we tweeted out a number of weeks ago 
that the ABC TV three-part investigation into Tennis Australia was going to take place. And things went very, very, very quiet. So I had this drift into the mailbag this week. So one of the ABC journalists has let a colleague of mine know today that the report has not been scrapped, but rather parked. And that colleague has given no reason as to why, but it is still happening. So apparently it's still on the table. We will uh, wait and see. I also got this into the mailbag. I find I found out uh, over the weekend the list of people who are staff members at the Tennis Australia Brisbane Academy. 24 in total, 14 of those are full-time coaches. As for the number of junior players who live and train there, it has been suggested this year there are only 16. How can that be right? At a ratio of one coach to four, which is still a great performance ratio, there should be 50 players in that environment regularly training to validate the estimated $3 million annually in wages, and that's without touring costs, Brisbane accommodation, etc. If you could get the names of the players who are scholarship holders, that would be great. Why wouldn't TA list them on their webpage or social media platforms and be proud of who they are and the coaches they work with? It has taken me six months to get the full list of the staff. Why all the secrecy? Hmm. Anyway, I put an inquiry into Tennis Australia today. I put that very question to them, and TA's response was this. We like to be fair and balanced on this show. In terms of uh, the National Tennis Academy athletes, there is a mix of those based in Brisbane and those at home. As you can imagine, with the various travel difficulties and border closures over the past few years, there are probably a few more home-based plays than there usually would be. The mix at the moment is 15 athletes based in Brisbane and a further 18 home-based. As we discussed a couple of weeks ago, yes, I did go into TA and had a, a meeting with their, their media team. We are planning a class of 2022 opportunity with the NTA athletes, which I mentioned you would be more than welcome to attend, which is my intention to get up and have a look at the academy. Ideally, this would have taken place earlier this year and be a great opportunity to introduce the cohort, do some nice media, create content update profiles. But this was delayed due to the catastrophic flooding in Queensland. The QTC was impacted and the NTA programs, although proceeding uninterrupted, are a bit spread out at the moment until all the repairs are completed. As you know, Chris Marley heads up the NTA. Brent Larkin is the NTA head coach. The NTA coaching team is made up of Mark Draper, Andrew Roberts, Des Tyson, Dave Taylor and Brett Hunter. Olivia Rich, Cody George and Gavin Van Pippersiel are performance development coaches. As well as the NTA athletes, the pro players aged 24 plus have full access to NTA facilities and all athlete services such as physio, nutrition, strength and conditioning. So that was a response back from uh, TA today. It is my intention to go up and have a look at the academy. Uh, a lot uh, was you know, made of the performance review uh, that came out a couple of years ago or was, was done over a couple of years. And obviously COVID has certainly played a part in the uh, NTA maybe not operating to its uh, full capacity and obviously the weather in Queensland uh, this year has been a major issue as well but I'll get up there and take a look for myself we'll bring you plenty of that on the first serve and take you inside that academy but I appreciate these uh, views from inside Tennis Australia about the state of Australian tennis and the development and the uh, you know the participation numbers across the country and then there is the views of those outside who are at the coalface who see it uh, very very differently. Uh, we have Melbourne's leading synthetic grass court surface and construction specialist, Asti Tennis Courts, on board with us. They're trusted by Melbourne tennis clubs and councils. Check out aste.com.au. I also received this from uh, Bree. 
Uh, Brett and the team at the first serve. I just caught up on the latest episode and really enjoyed the chats with Sarah and Betty. We had Sarah Stone, Betty Sekulowski, two fine coaches in the studio last week. Great insight into how many junior teams or junior tennis operates in Australia. How, how junior tennis operates in Australia. I just wanted to say something on Brett's comments on Pam Shriver's recent interview with the tennis podcast in the Telegraph newspaper as I was a little disheartened with what he said. Pam's interview on the tennis podcast in particular was insightful and detailed and I don't believe designed to make accusations against Don Candy. She speaks well of him while also recognising the power imbalance of their relationship and the ensuing emotional damage that caused her, as well as how it impacted her tennis career during those years. Her main focus was bringing attention to the issue of inappropriate and destructive relationships between coaches and players. In the follow-up tennis podcast episode, David Law mentions a top coach and had uh, contacted him after hearing Pam's story and recounted the many things he has witnessed on both tours in regard to power imbalances and damaging coach-player relationships. I've heard Renee Stubbs mention the coaches by name actually before this latest story on the Racket podcast and their belittling and inappropriate behaviour towards female players on the tour. Bianca Andrescu has just mentioned this weekend the importance of Pam raising the issue because it makes it easier for others to come forward. I do hope the first server revisits the story because there is nuance to Pam's story and she is focused on the wider issue of what has been done to protect players on both tours. Bree, thank you. I know you're a loyal listener to this uh, program and you're absolutely right. So last week on the show, because we're always running out of time, but I did do it as the last piece and we had to be word... Um, word-friendly, quite economical. I didn't get, have a real chance to expand, but I did go back and have a listen today, and I did make the comment last week that there were no accusations in that story from Pam Shriver about her former coach of any sexual abuse. What I probably didn't mention last week is that Pam, whilst admitting it was probably an inappropriate relationship, she had a lot of positive things to say about her partnership, if you like, with Don Candy, who coached her at such a young age, was a huge mentor in her life, took her to some great results, also admitting that in hindsight, in reflection, that it was probably inappropriate what they were doing, but you're in the moment and things happen. And sometimes you can't help in life who you who you like and who you fall for. So all that's been very transparent from Pam. So yeah, I didn't get a chance to really expand on that last week. I think it is a really serious issue, not just in uh, tennis, this could happen right across uh, sport, uh, whether it's coach players. We've heard the discussion in AFL football this week about the treatment of female umpires. So there's a, there's a lot in that space that you know certainly needs to be brought to the table. The more people that speak about it, certainly the better. And look, I would love to get Pam on the program. We might try and hunt her down over the next couple of weeks and, and see if she'll have a chat to us and expand on those thoughts. I enjoy uh, Pam's commentary and uh, what she said was extremely worthy. So I wasn't trying to probably diminish it uh, last week. We were just a little short for time and I did probably rush through it. So um, we will continue to follow that. And Bree, keep sending your correspondence in. And if any of you have got any uh, anecdotal stories you want to share with us, more than happy for you to send it through. The first serve, sen at gmail.com. You can contact us all week. Tell us what's happening at the coalface of the game out there. And is this actually an issue within Australian tennis? Because there's people that you, people like you who listen to our show who know the inner workings uh, far better uh, than certainly I do. We'll take a break. Uh, Vivian Christie is going to join us very shortly, editor of the Australian Tennis Magazine. I'll tell you about 
some of the other content we've got going at the first serve. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B-Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B-Solar advisor. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management. And glgcorp.com, the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve. There is plenty of content to take a look at in your own time at the first serve, apart from our uh, weekly show here on the radio, crunching the numbers for the players, coaches, for those that just love their stats and data. Episode two is out right now with Stephen Huss and Chris Tons. We've had some conversations around how do we practice more effectively. Some of my research, I found this really interesting research article that I sort of shared some of the details with you. And I thought it'd be great to share with the listeners and kind of go through it because it's one thing to have data and statistics at your disposal and to look at them. But don't you think or what's your thoughts on then using that and applying it to the way you practice and perhaps even adapting and changing in the way that you you know sort of structure your coaching lessons i think uh all of us coaches uh have a sort of a way we do things but don't you think that uh data and statistics should start to drive the practice board a little bit more than it, perhaps it has in the past yeah last week we talked about how important it was first serve return and, and the first shot after so knowing that how do we make sure that that's somehow implemented in the in the practice and i know for me it's really changed things away the way i practice and even just talking to you coming up with different ways where we maybe serve first we definitely don't neglect returns or so yeah it's very challenging to perhaps change the practice but having it structured so it does kind of simulate the most important part of tennis i always say if you can't i always say the two most important shots in tennis are serve and return i don't care how awesome your forehand looks if you can't get the ball in the court to start the point does it really matter yeah, that is Chris Tont, Stephen Huss. So crunching the numbers, you can find that at thefirstserve.com.au. Subscribe to us, whatever podcast platform you're on. Vivian Christie, editor of the Australian Tennis Magazine, has joined us. Uh, welcome back to the show, Viv. Uh, hi, Brett. How are you? Chris? Going well. Great to be back. Going well. Ash Barty on the front. It sort of brings a little tear to my eye in a sense. Uh, she's got uh, Uluru in the background, a dream ending, a brilliant journey. That's the latest edition, our farewell to our number one. Yeah, it was... Um... You know, I've put a, a lot of magazines together over my time in, in tennis, but I guess this was a, an edition like no other that, that we've published, really. I mean, we, we started with the, the great story of Ash um, in Central Australia soon after she won the Australian Open. And, and honestly, um, yeah, we did. We then also included her retirement tribute. So, yeah, there was there's a lots of different sides of Ash, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. What are the other highlights of this edition, Viv? Yeah, um, look, we uh, we delve into um, the new number one in women's tennis after Ash's retirement. Uh, we've got a, a feature on Igor Fairtech and um, also the uh, exciting Carlos Alcaraz. So he's lots to read about there. Um, lots from our Aussie players as well. Um, we have um, Alexi Popperin talking about his early time on tour. Um, Isla Tomlanovic takes us through uh, her match day um, and Tanasi Kokonakis talks about his nutrition in, in a day. Great stuff. The Australian Tennis Magazine, it's out by monthly. Of course, you can subscribe, Viv. Yes, you can. And you can also um, order any editions online at tennismag.com.au. Beautifully done. Vivian Christie, editor of the Australian Tennis Magazine. And just before we go, our newest podcast offering, which has dropped the last couple of days, is what are you doing here? It's hosted by professional tennis coach Rowan Williams. I actually coached Rowan in footy 
30 years ago, who right throughout the year will be catching up with people working on the Pro Tour. His first guest is Brad Stein, formerly the coach of Jim Courier, currently coaching American Tommy Paul. What am I doing here? I'm a coach on the tour. I've been a coach on the tour for a long time now. It's, uh, it's been my full-time job. It's funny because people that don't understand what we do as coaches on the tour sometimes give you the impression when you say that you're a coach on the tour. They're like, you know, what else do you do? Or people ask me what I do, and I say I'm a tennis coach. And in the United States, at least, people often say, oh, you coach at a high school? Yeah, high school or country club. Yeah, yeah. Or, or they assume that you're a teaching pro at a club, you know. So the fact that we're coaching high-performance players and professional players is a little bit different gig. I've been lucky enough to be on the tour pretty much full-time. A few little breaks here and there, but pretty much full-time for, man, like a little over 30 years now. I did run my own little academy for a little while, and, uh, and I had a stint where I went and worked for the USTA, the United States Tennis Association, for about three and a half years or so. But even when I was with the USTA, I was still back on the tour primarily the challenger tour at that time but i was still kind of on the tour and tommy and i started in uh, 2019 just after the u.s open part one brad stein play usa chase ferguson from melbourne that's out this week thanks to the 5 p.m collective australian alcohol delivered 5 p.m collective.com talk next week sometimes needing new tires can catch us by surprise that's why tire power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money you can get what you need now get back on the road safely and pay for it later terms and conditions apply so visit tirepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.